Ladies and gentlemen, in the blue corner, standing at a sleek 5'11", 245 pounds, the tumultuous tempest of technique, Thomas Lilly. And in the red corner, at a curvaceous 5'11", 315 pounds, the jovial juggernaut of judgment, John Cheryl Sheridan. A meeting of the masters of mastication turn your attention as they delve deep into all things lifting and more. This is Peak Speak. It's a beautiful fall right now, and our friends at Manscaped to want to make sure it's beautiful when your pants fall. Don't let the trees be the only thing dropping their excess leaves. Give your trunk the look it deserves with the leaders in male grooming in their fourth generation performance package. Boys, get your baby makers for a, ready for a cuffing season like no other. Join the 4 million men worldwide using Manscaped by going to manscaped.com for 20% off and free shipping with the code PEAKSPEAK. Their fourth generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin safe trademark technology. It also gives you the ability to turn the 4000K LED spotlight on and off when needed for a more precise shave, plus it's waterproof. Still not entirely sure why you'd want to shave in the shower, but anyway, that's rain. That's right, rain or shine. The lawnmower 4.0 works to keep your apples crisp. Who the fuck is shaving their balls in the rain? Sorry, can we just talk about that? Anyway, <laughs> uh, it might make for a good commercial. Um, get 20% off and free shipping with the code PeakSpeak Manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code PeakSpeak at Manscaped.com. Make sure you have the best package for your package and choose Manscaped. Your balls will thank you. So many people have actually used our code, which is really cool. So thank you very much for that, people. Yes, we appreciate it. And we hope all of you have smooth whatever parts of your body you happen to be shaving with Manscaped Trimmer that is, I believe, not exclusively limited to the testicular region. My understanding is it is not actually that unique from a skin makeup standpoint to prevent that trimmer from being used elsewhere. Exactly. And uh, while you're trimming your balls and or other parts of your body, you should make sure that your hands are steady and or slightly shaking from too much caffeine by checking out our friends at Prism Coffee Co. using the code PEAKSPEAK there to pick up some of their delicious coffee beans delivered to your door. I think they ship daily at the moment. So there's a bunch of dudes standing in a shipping container putting coffee in bags and sending it to your house. Just for you. Yeah. And that's all I have to say on the matter. Amazing. Sounds like it's a very sleepy Tuesday afternoon for both of us. It's pissing down rain here and cold. I think the top temperature is set to be seven or eight degrees today. So, yeah. yeah. Mm, it's cooling down here too. It's almost hoodie weather. It's been hoodie weather in Canberra for like six months. Since no, it has, hasn't, actually, hasn't actually been that bad uh, so far. It's going to get cold though. Uh, I think it's, yeah. This week, I don't think the top temperature hits double digits in a few days. So, uh, it's great. Mm, <laughs> I mean, I amazing. actually really like it. I like it being cold. I like wearing a hoodie and tracksuit pants and stuff. But, you know, people complain about the gym being cold. And then I continually point out the horrific inefficiencies that would be trying to heat a brick warehouse that isn't airtight. <laughs> 
I've only been to one gym in the world where there's had to be heaters on because it was cold. Yeah, right. Like I've ne- I've had the luxury of never having to train. I mean, I've trained during winter in cold places, but like you guys there when it's cold, cold, the it's barbells, they, they hurt yeah. to touch. Yeah, it's it's proper cold. Yeah. I was actually looking at um Facebook Marketplace the other day and found a big like double-sided steel and glass fireplace. It's like, <laughs> fuck. Really, it's like the sort of thing you'd see like in a pub, right? Like in yeah, the middle yeah. of a big bush pub or whatever. I was like, fuck, if we had a fireplace in the middle of the gym, this place would be amazing. <laughs> and I very seriously considered spending two or three grand that I don't have spare no. <laughs> on a fireplace that we then have to spend a lot of money getting flued in in a way that doesn't give us all carbon monoxide poisoning. Yes. Uh, and, and I'm sure it would like- Powerlifters lighting themselves on fire. Yeah, well, that's the thing is I'm sure it would- um, horrifically increase our insurance premiums at the same time but fuck it would be cool to walk in here like middle of winter with a roaring fire going on while we have a powerlifting comp that would be very cool but alas here i am being an adult making responsible decisions with my life and it sucks lame yeah real lame oh dear all right let's talk about stuff yeah uh, so what, yeah, what have you been talking about to people? The discussion I've had a few times, uh, first with myself, because that's how most of my discussions start. Because I just spend a lot of time by myself thinking about things, uh, and actually, it happened while I was running. So I, I did a, a running coaching session not that long ago uh, with a guy named Lex, who's a guy that I've coached in powerlifting, but he's also a professional running coach. Nice. Uh, and did like a like you know a half hour technique session with him. Changed a couple of things about like the orientation of my upper body, and immediately it felt different. Like felt better, felt smoother. Like I could hear the difference in my footfall on the gravel that we were like running on at the time. Uh, so it was it was really eye opening and and one of those experiences that I haven't had personally for a while. Like having had someone else look at what I'm doing and provide feedback in a way that provides instantaneous change like that. You know, mm. I do it a lot for people. It's what I fucking do for a living. But experience it on it, it on the other side is really cool every now and again. Um, and then in the weeks following that, running's felt harder. Like the the uh, speeds and distances I've been running have been similar to what I was doing, minus a small bump in the road when I tore my calf being an athlete. Uh, but everything's felt a bit harder. And most of my thinking around that has been that I have to think more about it. Like I'm consciously trying to do something different and that's what's providing the the increase in subjective effort despite the objective measures like pace and heart rate and stuff not necessarily being that much different uh, and so that is then extended into a conversation in my head and or with other people about the things that influence sh- subjective feelings of effort and how hard things felt and uh and maybe where you can go wrong with things like rpe and paying attention to how things feel because I think in a in almost the opposite to the discussion we had last week about external authority it's worth pointing out that internal authority and that feeling of subjective effort has a lot of factors that influence it and therefore isn't always like the most accurate description of what's going on in Mm. some ways 
Yeah, I think this is a really good way to follow on from what we discussed last week for sure. Like even, you know, those points that we were talking about in terms of, um, you know, chasing speed might be at mm. the expense of progress in the long term because it might influence the positions that you get into. And so yeah. something like, you know, this this internal subjective feeling of, um, okay, these changes that we've made to my deadlift have made the lift feel so much harder uh inherently or automatically just based on our lifting journey that, that's that's quite hard to compute you know yes if we're making a change uh for strength it should automatically feel better is the assumption because that's just how we measure progress and resistance and mm. so lighter is easier so if it's the same way and it's harder it means we're weaker that's that's how our brains look at this when we've been doing resistance training for so long and i so i think this is where um, when it comes to things like this, the art of coaching becomes so important uh, because, you know, when I'm teaching coach development, when I'm teaching cueing, the the second level of cueing is all about feeling and being able to communicate feeling is such an, an important tool in someone's lifting journey to give them validation that what they're doing is on the right path. And a lot of the times that means this is what it's going to feel like in a negative sense. Yeah. And that is a good thing. Because yeah. left unchecked, it's like, oh, this feels bad. I'm going to just change it up a little bit. Oh, that feels way better. Then two weeks later, they're exactly the same as they were before they've, they've made these technical changes. So I really like the, this idea of, um, of uh, talking about subjective feeling for sure. Yeah, I, um, I think it's, it's that idea of like validating experiences that can be really useful. One of my favorite tricks in coaching and like I think if you're a decent coach and you don't have a handful of like little party tricks that are a good way to increase buy-in just by showing off a what is like a really easy simple base level physiological principle that we can like just magic you a little bit with and make it feel different or do things like that but is being able to like watch people lift and be like oh do you experience these things when it gets really heavy and be able to like list off half a dozen either feelings or experiences in terms of positional change or things like that that is just pattern recognition right you've just watched enough people squat like that to know that when that person that squats like that goes really heavy these are the things they experience so being able to to tell that story uh to link all of my bullshit ideas into one big episode fucking cohesion um is really valuable both from a this is what to expect but also a yes that's a perfectly valid experience and you don't have to be concerned about that feeling because like you said it's really easy to get disheartened and lose some of that motivation when suddenly you have to think way harder about what you're doing and all these weights that you considered to be easy weights that you didn't have to think about are suddenly really complex and hard right and that was my experience with running was this pace that I thought I could just maintain and like kind of switch my brain off and just like think about stuff and listen to music and you know just plod along suddenly became this thing that I really had to consciously work towards and it, it really drastically changed the experience. Mm. yeah absolutely um yeah and i mean like that that idea of being able to use language to tell this story uh to allow someone to arrive at the correct conclusion is going to be really important when we are making changes that don't feel great yeah um for me like i i reflect on my coaching journey because this idea of uh, talking about feeling um and connecting with the person's subjective experience has been really important in terms of building trust and rapport with people like i reflect on the early days of coaching where i was taught early on just as you were taught and probably every coach listening 
ask the, ask the client how they feel, you know, do a set. How did that feel? Tell me how that felt. And I remember going through technique sessions and watching people and knowing what lifting felt like because I'm, I'm a thinky lifter and I feel everything and I You're am good at- a thinky lifter. Yeah. That's a good yeah. description. Yeah, yeah, no, I get I'm it. A, I'm a thinky lifter. I, I, lift, yeah. I think too much when I lift. Um, and so like feeling is, is uh, quite intense for people who are thinky lifters. And I remember doing technique sessions with people and watching them and making changes and being like, I know this feels like shit to you right now. And be like, how did that feel? And they'd be like, yeah, pretty good. I'd be like, I know you're lying. And so I changed the way that I asked the question. I didn't ask how you feel. Then I started telling people um, how it should feel. You know, when you get this right, it's going to feel like this and this and this. And then I asked them afterwards. Um, and now it's very much like a, a commanding sort of position that I use. I'll, I'll say it's going to feel like this before they do it. And then I'll say, did it feel like that? And if it didn't, then I can direct the conversation to wherever it needs to go. Um, but that idea of giving pre-validation to how something should feel. So when someone's doing it, they're not like, this is wrong. Yeah. Like they already know to expect what it's going to feel like. And I can do that because I know what my cues are going to feel like in someone because I've been doing it for so long. Yeah. Um, and it's, it, it is such an important part of coaching because if we can't talk about feeling, if we can only talk about direction, knees go here, hands go there, elbows go here, it's really not how we lift. Mm. Now, this is the, the huge benefit of being a coach who has spent time under the bar, just like you and I have. We know that when we lift, we don't think in some like magic trick uh, cueing language. We feel. And if we can talk about how things feel and use cues to direct things to how things should feel, it creates so much trust and rapport in the lifter, especially when we know that that feeling is going to be foreign, different and probably a little bit negative. Yeah, and that's where the little trick comes in, right? Is it like you start this conversation by like making them feel a bit vulnerable because you suddenly you've said like, oh, do you feel this? And like predicted their experience to a T. Mm -hmm. And especially if it's someone who's come to you with like, a, oh, this hurts when I do this or like that sort of thing. There are a lot of simple flow charts that when you've been coaching powerlifters, especially for long enough, you can follow to very quickly arrive at what's probably the the likely cause. And that's where you get that feeling of like, oh, they get a bit defensive because suddenly you've like peeked into their window of like experience in a way that they weren't expecting. I've had the same conversations, not just around like technique, but around, and we've talked about it before, like that feeling four weeks out from a meet where you hate everything. Like I've had people be like, what the fuck? Get out of my head because I can just express all of the emotions and feelings that I know they're going through because I've experienced it myself. Uh, and it's that little thing where you get the, like you've got the foot in the door, right? To then have the conversation about this is why you're feeling this. This is why these changes are happening. This is why it might feel harder to begin with or it might feel like everything you know, subjectively is harder than it should be. All of those sort of things. It's, it's about, yeah, like you said, using language to be able to open the door to the deeper conversations about why you're experiencing these things and what we can do to influence that. Yeah, and I think that's even... Uh, further strengthened by having um, by being able to use language along a timeline for us you know a lot of the times people are talking about feeling in the moment mm. whereas with that experience like you're saying you know with powerlifting it's it's going to be like one of a few things yeah. and we've seen it all before a thousand times and we've experienced most of them a thousand times as well and so 
for me, if I can use language to dis- to describe what something did feel like and what something will feel like, not just what it's feeling like in the moment, it even further strengthens that conversation. Yeah. If I can, if I can, you know, like you're saying something to do with pain, if I can relate to the pain experience and what sort of movements created pain, and then I can sort of talk about what's happening right now and what's then going to happen in the future and how things should feel, it, it creates so much... Um, so much stronger of a uh, a trusting relationship where the person is then going to buy into what we're doing, which is so important on, on all levels. You know, it satisfies the client. They get the result, which is the ultimate goal at the end of the day. But it also builds a trusting relationship, which is going to lead to a stronger business relationship. Um, it gets us results faster out of them, which is important for our marketing. Like it's it's just win, win, win for everyone. Yeah. Um, the. Yeah, I think, sorry, just to cut you off real quick. The hardest thing about this whole conversation is that this is not something that can really be taught. It's something that you have to think about and you have to be able to translate in a language that's relevant to the person in front of you. Um, I use the word art at the start of this conversation and it is really an art. Like it's an art form that takes years to refine. Yeah. And that that comes from empathy, right? You have to be able to be empathetic to someone's experience. And I know early on in my coaching career, the mistakes I made came from a complete lack of empathy or a, an unwillingness, not perhaps not unwillingness, but an inability to see things from a point of view that wasn't the rigid cage that my meathead brain lived in as an early Mm -hmm. 20s PT, you know? It's the fucking early 20s PT who's like, you don't have time, you make time. And like, I was that guy. He was a fuckwit because he didn't have the ability to be empathetic with the person that works a full-time job and has three kids and only has 45 minutes twice a week to train and those sort of things, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, The thing I wanted to touch on, because again, it comes from building rapport and language and stuff like that is a discussion I've been having a lot recently around the role of like a a subjective feeling of stability and, and, uh, and external stability and exercises and things like that. Right. But more broadly to a feeling of, uh, of safety and comfort right now, like at a base level, when it comes to stability, there is this inverse relationship between the stability demands of the task that you're performing and your ability to output force. It's why we can all leg press twice what we can squat in almost every instance because a leg press is the most stable expression of hip and knee flexion because the fucking thing's on rails. And so the limiting factor is the ability of your quads and glutes and things like that to contract cohesively, push that sled on the rails. In a squat, it's your ability to organize your body in space. So that's the like base level discussion, but I think that more broadly extends to your ability as a coach to empathize with the experience of the person and help them inherently feel safe in the validity of their experience. And so not ignoring the things that they're saying around pain and feelings of instability or you know discomfort or things like that. Because I think really early on in my coaching career, again, I probably dismissed people's feelings a little too often. Mm-hmm. and we're just like ah okay whatever <laughs> and just kind of kept moving and that certainly held me back but now in the the way i present myself and the environment to people is much more about opening the doors and helping them lower the barriers to entry and feel like they're safe and what they're doing is valid and correct and right you know it's moving away from these these language things centered around like fear and uh, like worrying about injuries and stuff like that. And instead just reshaping the conversation in a more positive and 
uh, and sort of well-meaning light because so much of that I've found just has helped people get that buy-in early because the results they see in that early period are all about how comfortable they feel in that environment. If you can get someone into your circle of influence, be it as an online coach or in a facility, and you can very quickly integrate them into that community so that they feel safe and comfortable, well, they're going to get better results out of it. For sure, for sure. I mean, it comes down to the difference between hearing and listening, right? Yeah. You, you hear the words that this person is saying and then you have to be right. So you have to be argumentative and convince you, them that no, what you think is not valid and what you should be thinking is this rather than listening to the words that they're saying, you know, showing them what's valid and what's correct through action rather than words, which is, you know, I hear that you're having this pain experience. I hear that you're having uh, difficulty with this and this and this and then building into the programming the things that they uh, w will eventually come to see is very valuable I don't have yes. to tell people that you know I can show people that through actions in in my words I want to express empathy I want to express understanding so they do feel safe to come and take the action that they need to take to get the outcome that they're looking for right um, and you, I mean, like you hit the nail on the head with us in the past, you know, young twenties coaches that live and breathe powerlifting tactical empathy was neither of our strong point because it was just like, <laughs> if you want to be a fucking good powerlifter, this is what this you do. This is what you do. Yeah, and if you don't exactly. want to be a powerlifter, guess what? You You're pay. wrong. Yeah. You do want to be a powerlifter, you know? Um, and it becomes God, I so wish, sometimes I wish I could go back and just slap that kid. In the <laughs> it's like, so much. just be less of a fuckwit. So but then, much. like, maybe I wouldn't be the person I am today without that fuckwit phase. Who knows? Who knows? Um, I do I do feel like you have to be careful that you don't swing the pendulum too far in that direction to the point where you let the client dictate absolutely everything oh, man. Yeah. outside of their expertise, you know? Yeah. Um, I, I often say to coaches that it's totally okay for you to have goals for the client. Mm. You know, a client might not come in with a goal to be able to perform a low bar back squat. It's okay for you to have a goal that involves them performing a low bar back squat and you can work towards that without forcing it upon them. You yeah. can build the structures and the frameworks to improve their hip strength and their upper back strength to the point where they can try that thing. There's no problem with you having a goal for this person. And if anything, when you're working with the inexperienced or the um, you know, more general strength training clients, you should have goals for them because yeah. they don't know what their goals are, you know, or yeah. they, the, the goals that they talk about uh, are byproducts of the training that you're doing. You know, I mm -hmm. want to be stronger and look better. Um, you know, you get to decide micro goals within that and you should yeah. as the coach because you're the expert. And also you can, like, it's totally okay to have a, a long-term plan for that client, even if they don't. And that long-term plan doesn't have to be super intricately detailed, but you can yeah. have a vision for where that person is going. So one of the things that I've, a question that I've asked in a handful of different forms, but I have sort of most recently refined, I think the, the best form of it in our like first coaching session with someone. So it's not necessarily in the discussion around like, do you want to join? Do you not want to join? Which is more centered around like, what do you want to get out of it? What brought you to us? Those sort of things. Hmm. One of the, I think probably one of the most powerful questions I've been able to ask has been around something to the effect of, okay, we're sitting here right now. Let's say hypothetically, we fast forward two or three years into the future and everything goes perfectly for you. Instead of asking like, what's the outcome? 
I ask people about like, what is, what does life look like at that point for you? Like, what do you, what are the feelings you empathize with? Like, what's the vision, right? And most people talk about, well, I want to be able to do these things outside of the gym. I want to be able to like integrate fitness into my lifestyle. It's, it's those sort of things, right? We have a, a type that comes to a gym like ours. Mm-hmm. And then it's about helping them reverse engineer what that looks like in terms of habits and things like that, that you start building from day one, right? And being able to just, because it's, I think in the past I've shied away from conversations about goals because I've never really identified very well with them. Mm -hmm. Like there was a period where I had like very specific number goals, but increasingly it's just about like getting better at things and, you know, and following my whims and uh, fancies and those sort of things. But I, I could never tease out well enough like an actual tangible thing because most people come to this scenario not really fucking knowing what they want. They mm. don't have like no, not many people get in, especially powerlifting. Not many people do what I did, which is get into powerlifting and be like, I'm going to squat a thousand pounds. And that like, that was genuine. The only fucking thing I cared about in powerlifting for a long time. Mm. Uh, and not everyone comes to the table with that number or that thing, but a lot of them have this idea about what life would be like or what it looks like from a you know lifestyle factor thing, what they can do outside of the gym. And that conversation has helped people see that. And that, again, increases the buy-in early on because you're like, okay, well, if what you want to be able to do is you know, take your kids out and kick ass just doing whatever you want, well, then you really need to be able to do a bunch of different things in the gym. You probably need to have a base level of this and we can, and we can build out like, okay, well, this is what this looks like and this is how we get there and these are the processes and here's how we're going to build these habits so you can actually do it effectively. Because mm-hmm. if you just say, here's the number, here's where you are now, cool, let's just fucking work hard. But you skip that like storytelling aspect of like, here's why you were going to do all these things. You miss all these opportunities to help them understand the process that you don't need to explain because it's inherent in your knowledge and your understanding of it. Hmm. We can all look at a number and be like, all right, cool. Well, you want to squat 300 and you currently squat 200. You're probably going to be able to have to do a bunch of different things like this. It's probably going to take this long. We can just reverse engineer all of that sort of stuff. But For the average person who comes to it with an average experience in the gym, they don't have that framework and helping them see that I've found has been really, really effective. It's such a good message for coaches to hear that because the majority of people, coaches listening to this probably have a blend of strength training clients and mostly general population clients mm. that that they do strength training with rather than like powerlifting clients or yeah. strength athletes. And what John just said is like, not only fantastic for starting the relationship and and finding out what someone actually wants, but that's fucking sales one hundred and one. Yeah. Like that that is that is showcasing someone where they are now, where they want to be, and all the steps that they need to take to get there, and our role that sits within that. Like that mm. is literally how you sell something. Yeah. Like th- think of old used car salesmen. They don't say here are the features of the car. They say imagine yourself driving this car down the Esplanade with the top down. They're like. It's sales 101. It's putting the whole experience into the mind of the person and making it unique to them, showing them who they are and who they want to be and how to get there. Like, um, I think that's fantastic. And you're not doing it specifically for that purpose. Like, you're doing it to extract the information that you need to create the right kind of coaching relationship. But it's both things at once. I am also definitely doing it for that purpose. Oh, yeah, Because I've, I've recognized the value on both sides of it, right? Like, as much as I genuinely really enjoy helping people achieve their goals and opening their eyes to things they never thought they could do and all of that sort of stuff i also want to make money 
because mm. I want to be able to do this for a living in a way that is sustainable in the long term. Um, and it sort of brings me to the other point that I was going to turn into a separate topic, but instead here we are and we've landed right on it, which is that increasingly I've been uh, thinking about the role of your ability as a coach to tell stories and that ultimately – like I, I made this joke to my girlfriend the other day where I said something to the effect of like, really when it boils down to it, my job is that I'm a storyteller and that's what I do because she made some clip about a story that I've definitely told many times and mm. there's a handful of stories that if you are in my close enough circle, you just kind of know and you'll you'll just tune out really beautifully when I start telling them because I just tell them really well and I've like, I've practiced them, right? There, there are these stories that I have in my life that I can tell without thinking because I've practiced it and it's the same with coaching. It's... You know, and talking about how the evolutionary split between quadrupeds and bipedal animals is the reason we became apex predators and that's why it feels like your hips hurt when you squat. And it's like the ability to make that link, like maybe it's relevant, maybe it's completely bullshit, but what I can do is engage a person with this ability to see things from a bigger picture and then zoom down into that one little bit of the things that we want. And that roller coaster I found to be really effective in helping people buy into the concept rather than just like this fucking squat cue right mm -hmm. it helps them learn a, a bigger thing about how their brain works and how their body works and evolution and all of these sort of things that have a huge influence on whether you think about knees first or hips first in the squat but without that context sometimes it becomes a bit too arbitrary for people to take beyond the doors of the gym right which for me is the goal uh -huh. Like this is just a vehicle for learning about yourself and about life, right? And if you don't take those lessons outside of the four walls of the gym, then I don't think you're getting the real value out of it. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's that storytelling ability that I think is increasingly crucial in your ability to get these points across in a way that's effective and, and helps people actually create long-term change. For sure, for sure. Like I... Uh, again, I think of the evolution of my technique sessions, like taking someone through squat bench deadlift for the first time and how the language has changed and evolved into, into what it is now. And I get them in the first, in the first part of the technique session. So we, you know, do the general intro, start lifting weights. And before I start talking about anything to do with technique, I ask a couple of questions that really is telling them a story or getting them to buy into a story, which is when did you start lifting weights? And they say, Oh, I don't know, like five years ago. It's like, cool. When are you going to stop? And they say, never. And I say, okay, well, do you want to be weaker in one year from now? They say, no, I want to be stronger. Then that's it. They're bought in. Like the, the, the bought into the story of like, okay, well, I want to keep lifting weights and I want to get stronger. And then I follow up and I'm like, that's what this is all about. That's what we are here for. And that's what we're going to help you with kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and then we can use that to start to tell a story through the technique session of not just like do this because of this biomechanical reason. But if you want to get stronger over a long period of time, if you want to keep lifting weights, this is important for your squat. Yeah. This is these important are, for your These bench. are the habits. These are the things, you know? Yeah. Um, and and it, it, it is so true. It's like our job is so much less technical and so much more relationship uh, as a coach than people ever give credit for. I, and I think I resisted that idea for a long time, like mm. a really long time. And I think a lot of us of the era we went through are probably all going through a very similar phase at this point, right? Because we, you get to a point where your technical model, your day-to-day -day skill set is good enough that you can get results and make progress, right? And like, I don't need to watch another YouTube video on fucking squat 
tutorials or cues or exercise like there are, that's not the content i consume as a coach now the content i consume is way outside of the fitness space in most cases and is about storytelling it's about learning about things from a different frame of reference and that then allows me to come back to the thing that i know well and be able to have these conversations in a broader context in a way that is more impactful for the person because no one gives a fuck about your definition of infrasternal angles and whether you're expanded or compressed if you can't explain to them what that means and how that influences their ability to do the things they want to do. Mm. Uh, and so increasingly, the people I follow, the people I whose content I consume are the people who are just really fucking good storytellers. Like, uh, I, I, don't, I don't really care what the story is. If you can hook me with a story then I'm in and I like you've you've got me right uh and I think that's an element of my coaching that I wish I'd lent into earlier because I think looking back on the way I grew up and the the circles I ran in I've always been reasonably good at the concept of storytelling like there's always been these these sort of stalwart stories that have evolved with me as as I've gotten older and those sort of things and now I've just turned it into a profession in a way that I'm now leaning way more into to the point where sometimes I'm like standing there having a discussion with someone about the story about how you learn to walk and you, that made you an apex predator. And it's all just about how you manage your center of mass. And I fucking like, I'm in a third person weird space observing myself have this conversation because I've had it so many times now that it's like autonomous. Mm. And then you can start to edit like, Ooh, how do I stand when I talk about this? How do I like, where do all these little nuances come in and how much can that influence your ability to, to get someone to buy into the idea? Yeah. It's a yeah. fascinating little rabbit hole to go down. For sure. And it's funny how, you know, you reference the industry and you reference, you know, how we consume content outside of the industry now and that informs our practice as well. The industry, you know, as much as things have changed, it's still the same. You know, people are still doing this like hypo technical blah 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 stuff we did that in the past it was just very rudimentary mm. uh, but it's it's interesting you know talking about learning from resources outside of our world the book that you just finished you know and that i've read as well um th there's a part in it talking about um how you know we don't feel like a different person tomorrow than we should than say we it's, today. it's called being you by as anil seth yeah good yeah. book very complicated at first but a new science good. of consciousness yes um, yeah, there's there's a bit he's talking about, you know, you know, most people re will report over time or use the statement like I'm not the same person that I was back then. Uh, but we don't feel different day to day. We feel very much the same person yesterday as we do today and tomorrow. Uh, so then he then he uses this line and it, it's stuck in my head. And I, I find very little relevance in most things in life to actually think about this line. But he's talking he, he basically talks about um perception of change is a much slower process than change of perception and it's exactly this idea of of storytelling that you're talking about in the coaching uh context which is just like people aren't gonna see the change in their lifting and the change in their strength but we can change what they think about what's happening right now in the moment and being able to influence or talk to the way that someone feels in the moment is such a powerful tool in coaching and i, I don't know i just wanted to finish on that that's all i have to yeah. say yeah, I think that's a good place to finish. Sweet. Thanks for listening, friends. Okay, guys, bye. Bye.